Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter six, we we're basically dealing with Jesus continued teaching concerning the wrongful teaching of the Pharisees. First of all, remember, he started like, do not if you do not, if your righteousness does not surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. So all of these things uh, culminating from chapter five and, and also now chapter six. And as we move into chapter seven, who is such a one who is able to enter the kingdom of the Messiah? And so as he continued on, he focuses on the Pharisees. First, he focused on their self-righteous acts. And then in chapter six, he focused on their wrongful teachings. And he dealt with such issues as fasting. And he continued on with prayer, giving to the poor and on and on and on. But the whole idea is those things that the Pharisees thought were important and those teachings to the which the Pharisees were giving to the people they were wrong. So what Jesus was basically doing was he was giving a frontal. Let me even say it this way, a full frontal attack upon the Pharisees, their ways and their teachings to the people. And Jesus, as the Messiah, as the authoritative one, because that's who the Messiah is. He is the authoritative one sent by God to give such teachings to the people, the proper teachings to the people. Jesus then gave them these things, an antithesis, if you'll allow me to say that, to the teachings of the Pharisees. But anyway, so as he, as he ended chapter six, he talked about this issue concerning basically money or wealth. And the one thing that we heard Jesus say over and over again, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, worry. Why? Our father knows what we need. So therefore, let us let us concentrate. Let us put our focus not on materialistic things, because all of these things are simply utilities. But let us focus on the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness of the Messiah, the righteousness of God. And guess what? Everything that you need will automatically be added unto you. All right. And. Even in saying that, allow me to take a little break here on, and say this, guys, this ministry that, that we are bringing to you is a teaching ministry. It involves cost and it involves time. I don't really, to be honest with you guys, I don't like to talk about money. Even if you were at the church in which I serve, I just don't like to talk about money. But nevertheless, money is important as a utilization. You need money, you need money to pay bills and things of that nature. And so therefore, I desire, I want to keep this ministry coming to you. And I want this ministry to come to you without any advertisement so that you can just simply listen to the teachings without interruptions. And it's for that reason I'm asking for your support. And look, there's a link down in the description to where you can support the ministry, whether you can do it on a monthly basis or even give a donation. But if God touches your heart, if you find these things are actually helpful to you, then I ask you to come alongside with me, partner with me and help me continue to produce these videos, these teaching videos for you. OK, so enough of that money stuff. And now let's get into what's more important than anything, the word of God. So as Jesus ended chapter six, 
talking about not worrying about monetary things because these things will be taken care of by God the Father. So let us just simply concentrate on serving God. We move into chapter seven and in chapter seven, basically we do have the continued teachings of the Messiah over against the teachings and the conduct of the Pharisees. And he basically starts with the issue of judging because the Pharisees thought of themselves as more righteous than others. And they would look down on others. And in all of that, Jesus would simply say they are hypocrites. All right. So with that being said, let's just go into chapter seven. Do not judge so that you will not be judged for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine for they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Oh, I like this. And I truly like, well, I like all of, uh, uh, Matthew five, six, and seven, but I really enjoy when we get into chapter seven. So, Here's that thing that I was saying to you guys at the end of last video, where a lot of people always say, you're not supposed to judge people. Didn't the Bible say that you're not supposed to judge? And they completely, uh, uh, um, in a self-serving sense, miss the point of what Jesus is trying to make. Jesus is not saying you do not have the right to judge other people. That is to judge their conduct. And he's gonna get into that even more so the issue of judging with respect to conduct and judging a tree by the fruit that it bears. He's going to talk about that even more so, but he lays down a foundational principle of how to judge in what manner should we judge others. And so that's what he's doing. So he opens up and simply says, don't judge lest you be judged. He is not saying do not exercise judgment at all because judgment is always necessary. Judgment is necessary even in this world. What do we think the criminal courts are all about? Even the civil courts is about rendering judgment. Judgment is also necessary amongst the saints. And Jesus talks about that authority given to the body of Christ in order to judge sinning members of Christ. If your brother sins against you, go to him privately. If he doesn't accept that, take two or, two or three members of the body of Christ. If he doesn't hear that, take that brother before the general church as a, as a whole. If he doesn't hear the general church as a whole, treat him like a Gentile, treat him like a sin on the street. But notice the point is judgment is expected from the body of Christ. We even see Paul rendering such idea in first Corinthians chapter five, dealing with the brother that has sinned in the body and that the church body should have already taken actions 
to remove him from the congregation. So judgment is always necessary, whether in the world and also in the church. So Jesus is not saying never judge. He is saying how you should judge. And that's why he goes into the next way for in the manner in which you judge, it will be measured out to you again. So he's giving a warning that as each individual, even, even collectively, but especially individual, as we judge, we should have a fear to look within ourselves before we begin to judge one another. Because however strictly we judge them, we shall find judgment coming back to us in the same manner. And so notice what the point is. Notice as he continues on, you find out he is not saying never to judge. Notice what he says. Why do you look at the speck, something that is small in your brother's eye, but do not acknowledge the log, something that's large in your own eye? Now, he's not simply talking about the speck in the eye. Of course, he's talking about something to the which the brother or sister has done. And the idea is Jesus is saying that is a trivial thing. You are looking at and judging your brother for a trivial thing when in your own life you have something big that is wrong in your own life. Something major that is against God's holiness, against God's righteousness. But you won't address the wickedness that you're doing, but nevertheless you're trying to address a small manner in your brother or sister's eye. He says what the problem is, you can't do this. You cannot fix a small thing with your brother until you first fix the big thing in your own life. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. It is an overall warning of how each and every one of us should administer judgment. If we are to give some sort of a judgment, we should judge by looking inward first. And is there something majorly wrong with me before I start standing as a judge over somebody else? And what does Jesus say? To render judgment towards another without introspection, without looking within yourself for evil makes you a hypocrite. So what is Jesus doing? He is not saying do not render judgment. He is saying do not render hypocritical judgment. Do not render judgment as a hypocrite. Do not render judgment towards someone else when you haven't judged yourself. After you have judged yourself, after you have rooted out by the power of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, after you have rooted out the evil and the wickedness that you do, then and only then are you able to administer judgment towards another or even to help him. Notice removing your log, removing the speck. The idea is that it's not so much as judgment that you are standing to give, but help, help you are trying to provide for your brother or sister. What does he say? After dealing with the great sin in your life, you are able, that is removing the log, you are able to move, remove the speck from your brother's eye. That means you are not trying to simply judge that comes out of pride, but you are trying to help them. And that's the overall mindset that all Christians are to have 
for one another. Even in the process of rendering judgment, we are trying to help. We want to help the sinning brother or sister, and we want to help the congregation as a whole. If for some reason we are not able to help that brother or sister, we must sadly help the congregation even to the point of removing the brother or sister. You see what I'm trying to say? Sometimes it is necessary. That's what Paul was trying to teach in 1 Corinthians 5. Sometimes it is beneficial for the congregation to remove a sinning brother or sister when the brother or sister will not change, will not stop their sin. Then we have to do what's good for the body at large. Okay. And Paul would even talk about such things as sexual immorality. Continuing sexual immorality becomes a reason to remove a brother or sister from the congregation because sin can be like yeast. What? It spreads. If we don't deal with it, it will spread throughout the congregation. But anyway, we don't want to get into all of that. So let's just simply go back to the text. So the idea of what Jesus was trying to say here is rendering judgment should always come with self introspection, looking into oneself, looking at your own life, judging your own life for sin. And after coming with some sense that there's no great sin in your life in trying to help your brother, then deal with the sin in your brother's life. Okay. Not so much telling him everything to do. That's not what Jesus is trying to say, but helping him in dealing with his own sins. Then after that follows this somewhat cryptic statement. I like it. It's, it's really parabolic. It's a parable that Jesus gives in verse number six that I do like. He says, and, and, and you begin to wonder, well, what does this have to do with judging people? I like it. I like it. I like it. Do not give that which is holy to the dogs. In other words, even when we render judgment, all right, we don't render judgment by our own opinions. We render judgment by the word of God. And the word of God is that which Jesus is talking about now. It is that which is sacred. The word of God is that which is holy. In other words, you don't tell your brother or sister, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know what? You know what? The first thing that popped in my mind about a bunch of rules that people make that are not in the scripture. You do not judge people by rules that are not in accordance to the scriptures. But I won't get into all of those details. Maybe as we work into certain other texts, I'll deal with that. But. The scripture is the sacred word by which we render judgment. So now let's get into this point, this parable. This is that which is holy. And notice what Jesus says. And I want to deal with each aspect of it. Do not give that which is holy unto the dogs in your rendering of judgment. The holy word of God to the dogs. That is this individual who will not Consider the word to be sacred or in other words, remember dogs was a common uh, 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 thought and idiom of the Jews toward these pagan Gentiles, Jews called pagan Gentiles dogs. So here the application is such a one who is not saved. Do not give that which is holy, the word of God to such a one 
who is not saved. And now notice what notice how Jesus builds his case. And also do not throw your pearls. The pearls, once again, is relate, related to the word of God, which is holy and sacred. But notice he says to pigs, dogs, as well as pigs, and we can understand pigs too, unclean animals. And even as Gentiles, but not without the law of cleanliness, we understand a dirty pig rolling in the mud. Why would you try to put pig, a pearl, on the neck of a pig, give it to a pig. It's ridiculous. So you don't give what? That which is holy to the dogs, or you don't give pearls, cast pearls unto the swine. But what? Why? Why should we not do these things? They will trample them under their feet. Here's the point. These people are not saved, okay? And they have this hostility and antagonism to the word of God. So therefore the word of God, the things that are holy and the pearls, they, they hate it. They don't want to hear that. So guess what they do? When you begin to tell them what the Lord says, what the scripture says, what he says that it do concerning the scripture concerning these holy things, they just trample them under the feet. Man, they ain't studying none of that. And they begin to blaspheme and to curse and to use all types of wicked words concerning the word of God and concerning Christ or even God himself. So therefore, don't even try to help them. But even though, and then he says, they turn and tear you to pieces. When they get through trashing God and trashing the word of God, then they'll start talking about you and trash you. So therefore it becomes needless to try to judge, to try to help people. Notice you got to catch this part now to try to judge and try to help people who themselves are extremely antagonistic and have hostility against God and his word. Don't even waste your time. Now, our Lord is not talking about evangelism. Evangelism is a general thing that is done to all. But there are times that you probably know that you have met people who have such a hatred and hostile. I've seen people and I'm, I mean, they get really angry. They start cursing and all of this kind of stuff like this. Jesus says to such people like that, don't try to witness to them. Don't give that which is holy to a dog. Don't cast a pearl to a swine. Why? They trample it. They're not going to hear that. They trample it on the feet and then they turn around and start talking about you and you supposed to be so saved. And I guess you have done right. And you and they and they tear you apart. And probably many of us have already experienced it. So Jesus simply says, as he wraps this section up in judgment, judge your brother or sister in non hypocritical judgment and concerning and ministering, giving the word to those who are antagonistic and hostile, don't even waste your time. So now let's even continue. Chapter, verse number seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Beautiful. Okay, so now Jesus continues on a section in dealing with prayer. Remember, he dealt with prayer earlier. I said, when you pray, pray in this manner. So here again, we have another reflection on prayer and what Jesus dealing with is the perpetuity of prayer, the continuity of prayer. And what I mean by this is the persistence in praying, not the babbling that Jesus talked about and saying, uh, don't babble like the Gentiles for they believe in their often repeating of things that God will hear them. That's not what he's saying here, but here he is simply saying, believing and continually asking God, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. Lord, help me this. Lord, help me this. Not babbling, but believing and continually offering your petitions to God, our father in heaven. So how do we know? Because when he said, he says three things and we can see even a sort of an escalation in these things. Ask and in each of these verbs in Greek are in the present tense, which seems they're in the present continuous tense. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. So that's the idea of the perpetuity, the continuality of these things in prayer. Keep asking. If you keep asking, God will give unto you. If you keep seeking, then God will allow you to find it. And if you keep on knocking, God will open the door unto your answered prayer. And then he says this, because for everyone who acts ultimately receives, everyone who seek ultimately finds, everyone who knocks, the door is ultimately opened unto him. And then he talks about the father and how he responds to our prayers. And what he says is this, God is not perverse. And then he begins to compare mortal men. Let me even say it better. Mortal sinful men over against a holy and good God. And he's the whole issue whole essence is he's dealing with prayer, the asking of things. So he gives an example. So what does he say? What man is there among you? So therefore us, he's talking about us, but notice one thing. Now we are sinful men and Jesus is going to bring that part out. If his own son asks of him for a loaf of bread, will he be so perverse? So perverse to give his hungry son who's asking for a piece of bread, a rock. He said, even we won't do such a perverse thing. And notice even again, he says what? And if he asks for fish, will, he, will, will our own father be even so perverse as to give us a snake? 
My God, how evil is that? And so this is how he builds his case. If you then being evil, and we can relate to that as parents, if we know how to give good things to our children when they are asking, consider a holy father. If we are evil and know how to give good, what do you really think about God who is holy in all of his respect, in his nature completely? Our God is a good God. Our God is a holy God. Don't you know he knows how to give that which is good to those who ask him? So therefore he's saying, so I'm encouraging you, keep, don't get discouraged. If, you're, if your prayer is not answered immediately, keep asking, keep seeking, keep, keep knocking because ultimately God will respond to your prayer. God will answer your prayer. Okay. And so therefore he says, what God, the heavenly father will give that, which is good to him. And the reason why I'm almost running over myself is this. I want to get this part out. Notice what Jesus did not say. He never said that the heavenly father will give you what you are asking for. He never said that. He said, ask and you receive, seek and you, and you find, knock the door, be open. He said, your father will give that which is good. Now, notice what I'm trying to say. Jesus never said, God will answer your prayer by giving you what you want or what you are asking for, simply because what you are asking for may not be what you need. The Bible teaches we don't always know what to pray for. And not only just that, none of us can look into the future for a thing done. Okay, let me tell you what I mean. Say for instance, God, pray, are you praying to God, do this for me or give me that? And all you know is you want some immediate relief or you want to, uh, to fulfill, have fulfilled by God, some sort of immediate desire. But what will be the outworking of those things? If God gave you what you wanted, what will happen when he gives it to you? None of us have the ability to look down the road in the future to see what will be become of those things. If God gave us just what we asked for, then what will happen in the future because of it? Will it be good or will it be bad? We can't see these things, but guess what? There is one who can see these things. That is God. And therefore God does not always give us what we want. What Jesus is promising is you will have an answer. Whether that answer will be yes to your prayers. God will affirm and give you what you want or no. God will simply say, you cannot have this. Why? What does Paul say in Romans chapter eight? For we know, notice what it says. We know without a shadow of a doubt that God does all things for what? The good of those who love the Lord. He doesn't do what we want, but whatever he does for us 
It is always for our good. And notice what Jesus said in verse number 11. The father who is in heaven will give what is what? Good. Not give you what you want, but give you what is good for you. So therefore, keep praying, trusting in God, because you're going to get an answer from God one way or another, whether it's yes or whether it's no. But what you can relax, what you can believe and take comfort in is that when God said yes, or even especially here, when God told me no, it was for my own good. So don't pucker out your lip. Don't say, oh, I'm mad because he didn't give. No, it was for your good because your heavenly father knows what? All things. He knows what would have happened if he had actually gave you what you asked for. It would have been a not good thing for you. All right. So he wraps this part up concerning at consistency of prayer, consistency in asking God and approaching God was simply saying in everything, what we call here, the golden rule, do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. So he wraps this section up in how we deal even and respond to others. And, and we can only do this by the power and the spirit of God, because there's always so much crap inside of each and every one of us. The desire for vengeance, what does God say? Vengeance is mine, but sometimes we desire that. And sometimes we want God to even judge people and, and do harmful things, that, that stuff. Get them, Lord, get them, because they made us angry. But what does God say? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him drink. So we don't always do what is right, but by the empowerment of God's spirit, he says, seek this as you want people to do to you. And it is such a broad and general statement, no matter what it is, because we do wrong. We do wrong to other people. We say wrong things to other people, but when other people do and say wrong things to us, sometimes we are slow, and stubborn to forgive them. We're hesitant. We don't want to, but we want other people to forgive our wrongs. So no matter what it is, as you want people to do to you, do to other people. And in thus, notice you fulfill, notice what he says, the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets is simply this, love your neighbor as yourself. Or as Jesus simply says here, treat other people as you want to be treated. And even there, I think some of us need to do some inner reflection on this and we need to ask for forgiveness. And you probably need to forgive somebody even right now and deal with people in a different way, without the bitterness, without the harshness, without so much attitude and nastiness, cause you don't like it when it's done to you. Okay, but enough of that. Let's move on with the text. 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. 
Okay. Now Jesus began this whole nother section. We're going to see in pairs, uh, the, the narrow gate and the broad gate. Then he's going to talk about the good fruit, the bad fruit, the good tree, the bad tree, the good foundation, solid foundation, the sandy foundation, the in pairs. Okay. And Jesus and all of these things are going to relate to the Messiah in some way, in some way or another, everything has a relationship back to Jesus. Okay. But nevertheless, let's just get into what he's trying to say. Now he talks about the gates. And even as we think about these gates, it takes us back to Jesus words to his own disciples in John 14. What does he say? 14 and six, I believe. Ah, and he says it in an exclusive sense. I alone am. And he uses the definite article the way he didn't say I am a way. I am the only way I am the only truth. I am the only life. What? No man, nobody comes to the father except through by me and me alone. So this is the language of exclusivity. And so in the same sense, he talks about gates here. He says in a through. So the commandment is to come through the narrow gate as the Pharisees uh, over against the teachings of the Pharisees and all of their hypocritical junk and all of these external and additional commandments that the Pharisees were teaching the people that was necessary for them to keep all of these the traditions and laws that the not the laws of Moses, but these teachings of the Pharisees and of the elders, which later became known as the Mishnah. All of this is garbage. Jesus says you must come through the narrow gate. The narrow gate will be the teaching of the Messiah, the teachings of the Messiah. We know the Messiah, his prophets and his apostles of the New Testament alone. This is a narrow gate, not the mess of the Pharisees come through the narrow gate. Uh, uh, why? Because the gate that the way that is leads to destruction is broad. The way that leads to destruction simply is what I've been telling you, the teachings of the Pharisees, all of these additional laws that they were adding that were not of the laws of Moses. It will ultimately lead to the fires of hell. And so therefore, if you're coming through the narrow gate, it is because you have faith in the Messiah. So Jesus is not, notice what I said, he is not teaching that you enter into the kingdom by what you do, but because you believe in the Messiah, you have accepted the Messiah. And so therefore you are restricting yourself to the teachings of the Messiah and the Messiah alone. Now you are able to enter that narrow gate that leads into the presence of the father, the kingdom of God, not because of your works, not because of your works, but your works are being restricted to the obedience of the Messiah. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. Okay. So I don't want to get into in a tangent upon that. So he says, for the gate is small and the way is narrow 
that leads to life. And by way of saying life, it's just a synonym for the kingdom of heaven or for the kingdom of the Messiah. Okay. We call it heaven, but in our uh, traditional American sense, it's not biblical by going to heaven and we stay in heaven. That's not in the Bible at all. We come back to earth. And I don't want to get into all of that, but the kingdom of the Messiah, which will be on earth. That's what he means by life. The way the gate is small and narrow. You can't bring all of your garbage. You cannot bring and even the teachings of the Pharisees. Okay. All of that I've already addressed, but let me bring it to our time. You can bring in all of your garbage. You can bring every teaching, every tradition, every denomination, and all of this other crap, all of this non-biblical crap, all of this improperly interpreted crap. Everybody is not going to heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying. Everybody's not coming into the kingdom and you can't bring in every belief system. Well, I believe that if you truly, and this is what some people like to say, if you truly are faithful to what you believe, you're going to get into the kingdom. That's a lie. Jesus says you can't bring that. This is a narrow gate. You cannot bring what you want to bring and say you're going to go to heaven. Well, I believe that this group is going to go to heaven if they know the answer is no. The gate is narrow. You cannot bring everything. There is one way into the kingdom. Jesus and Jesus alone. The righteousness of Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone alone. And should I dare even say, as Jesus is about to say, should I dare even say, as Jesus is right now about to say, if you are truly of Christ, believe in Christ, faith in Christ should always be objectively shown by the way that you live. In other words, if you truly believe in Jesus, how do you live? Do you keep the commandments of Christ? Don't tell me that you somehow saved and then and you don't keep the commandments of God. And let me tell you this about this narrow gate. Let me, I tell you, let me finish it. Then I'm going to talk about it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. Notice everybody and all their mess ain't going to it. And there are a few who find it. Notice what Jesus said. Only a few people ultimately will be saved. That is the very reason why this is my personal statement. And this is a personal testimony from me. I hate funerals. I hate everything associated with funerals. I don't want to hear nothing but people telling me about their dead relatives. I don't want to hear none of that crap because no matter what kind of life they lived, somehow they headed to heaven. Gangsters, People who shoot other people, selling drugs. I see people doing all that and kissing up to heaven. Somehow he made it to heaven. Liars going up to heaven. Fornicators going up to heaven. Adult, you, everybody, no matter what kind of life they lived, somehow they ended up in heaven. Now you just call Jesus a liar. Jesus said, let me tell you something about the number of people going to heaven. Few 
Few in number, few are actually going to find it. And then because few people are going to truly believe in Jesus, few people are going to truly manifest belief in Jesus. And that's what the next sections are all about, all about. So I personally, I calm down. I'm sick and tired of who people, no matter who they are, what they believe, everybody seems to find their way into heaven. You are a liar. It's going to be in accordance to the number of the sons of men, the human population is going to be so few people actually there. Okay. So don't give me that. I don't, I'm, I'm sick and tired of your mama, your brother, your sister, the alcoholic. Somehow they, they somehow, you don't know what they said when they were on their deathbed and you don't know this and you don't know that it's like the thief on the cross. Totally, totally misinterpreting that unique situation of that thief. Because notice what he said, we deserve our fate. He said that to the other thief on the cross, we deserve our fate, but this man has done nothing wrong. Lord, remember me. Remember me, I deserve my fate. But notice, jokers now wanna get into heaven because they don't wanna think that they deserve hell. I don't wanna hear that about your no good uncle going into heaven, I'm sick of that. But anyway, enough of preaching. But so let me go on. So, but you got that part, didn't you? You got that part, didn't you? Notice the gate that leads unto heaven, into kingdom of heaven, narrow. The gate that leads to hell, broad, and most people are going there. Why? Notice this. So now he starts to begin to deal with the issue of works of life. Because what? Works, how you live, do not get you to heaven. Always remember. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone. I'm saved because I believe that Jesus is the God man. I believe Jesus is God because only God can save. Sent from heaven, taking a body of flesh, dying on the cross, paying the price for my sin, resurrecting from the dead. That means in his resurrection, it is proof that he is God and it is also proof that God the Father accepted his offering of a sacrifice for that physical body on the cross. By this and this alone, I believe in the Messiah, I'm saved. I don't care what you say to me. I don't care what I, I believe in Jesus. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. That discussion is now over. However, it doesn't just stop there. If truly, like I say, like you may say, you believe this concerning Jesus, then faith, such a faith, apart from works, is dead. It is a youth, is a useless faith, or as James simply says in James chapter two, I believe, it's a dead faith. It is a worthless faith. It is an ingenuous faith. It is a false faith. If a person truly has faith that Jesus is Messiah, it will always produce works. Okay, so let's just go into it. Verse 15, warning, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Notice, notice, you will know them by their fruits. 
Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who comes, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many, many will say unto me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never, let me repeat, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Beautiful, beautiful. And it's simply, that's what I was trying to say unto you. Saved by faith in Jesus alone. Yes, sir. You cannot take that from me. I'm saved. But if you are truly saved, where are the works? So he now goes into here. He starts with dealing with the false prophets, false prophets, false teachers as well. You can lump them into one basket. Notice he says how they come unto God's people in sheep's clothing, uh, in, in a non-intimidating fashion, to appear to be one of you, to look like one of you, trying to come to you as one of you, as the righteous, he says, but truly on the inside, and that's the true measure of, man, of a man, the inside, inside they are what? Ravenous wolves, and I like that too, because you have to take in, Every word that comes from the mouth of God is so beautiful. Every little word, it'll make teaching so long, but each word is so beautiful, tasty, ravenous wool. A wolf comes to devour the sheep and ravenous means they just can't get enough and just chew the sheep up. They come to devour you. They come to use you. And this is the same kind of teaching we can see from the apostle Paul in, in second Corinthians, when Paul talks about the false apostles who are the ministers of Satan disguising themselves as angels of light, but they come to devour you. They slap you on the face. They use you. They abuse you. They take from you. This is the same thing that Jesus is talking about ravenous wolves. They want to beat you out of your money. So they come to you preaching things that you in a sinful way want to hear. Okay. Beware of them. So that's the first thing that Jesus says, false preachers, false apostles. Then he says, notice what he says. How do you know them? Notice he brings in all the way back, go all the way back to the beginning of chapter seven, when some people say, notice, do not judge. Jesus said, I never said that. Notice what he says here concerning false preachers, apostles. You will know them by their fruits. So Jesus is saying here intimately for us to do what? Render some form of judgment. 
How can we render judgment to know you're rendering judgment to know whether such a one, let me say it in our time, is a good preacher or a bad preacher? He says, by what they do, by what they do. So therefore you must, you are administering judgment of some kind by looking at what they do. Not only just what they say, cause that's how they're dressed as the sheep, but what they do even in the personal lives, what they do behind closed doors, what they do at home, what they do amongst their friends. When they think the church isn't looking, you know them by their fruits ultimately by what they do. And then he begins to give agricultural analogy uh, uh, or examples. These are par parabolic statements. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes and figs. From th he says, you don't get grapes and figs from thorny bushes, do you? And all people I think was, well, no, no. And think about these good grapes and good figs. These are good things over against what? Thorny bushes, bad things. And that's the whole point. These things, the thorny bushes are bad within themselves. You don't get nice fruit, actually good works from bad plants. No, that's not how it works. And then he continues to say what? Uh, every tree that bears good fruit, I'm sorry, every good tree bears good fruit. So in other words, if indeed the tree is good, let me bring y'all back to that preaching that I was just doing. If indeed you are a believer in Christ, if indeed you believe Jesus like you say, then guess what? You will live a holy life. You will bear good fruit. Then he says, but what? The bad tree bears bad fruit. In other words, the hypocrite. Now, even though Jesus is applying here to false, uh, uh, <laughs> the false prophets, false teachers, it does have general application. Bad tree, the hypocritical saint, the, the saint, the person who says they're saved, but truly they're not saved. The bad tree, guess what it does? It bears bad fruit. They say that they're saved, but when you look at their lives, they're doing whatever that they want to do without any form of repentance whatsoever. That's a bad tree. So the, and notice, notice something too that Jesus is doing here. Jesus is giving an ultimate judgment. He is calling one a good tree. He is called meaning saved. He is calling another a bad tree, meaning unsaved. And notice what he is saying. How do you know whether saved or not saved? You know by the fruit that they bear. So then verse number 20, and I got into that even without thinking on it. So then, so, so, so he gives a summation of it. You will know them by their fruits. He's talking about these false prophets. Yes. But the application is also general. How do you know when people are really and truly saved by their fruits, by what they do, by the life that they live? It's more than just a confession in the mouth, but a confession must be followed out by the producing of good fruit. You must produce some good fruit.
But if such a person, that's, that's why I don't buy this deathbed stuff. That's one of the reasons I don't go into this people dying on the deathbed. You ain't producing no fruit. There's no fruit of righteousness. All this so-called trying to get saved at the last minute is. Let me tell you all what the bottom line is. Jokers have lived the way that they want to live. They've done just what they wanted to do. They've given no support to the kingdom of God whatsoever. They have lived their life to please themselves alone. Now, for fear of going to hell, all of a sudden now, you want to get saved. So I believe Jesus. Come on, preacher. Come on. I'm going to pray the prayer of repentance. Our Father which art in heaven, which is, ain't, which is not even the prayer of repentance. It's a disciple's prayer. It's a prayer for a person who is already saved. But in foolishness, come on, preacher, and pray with me, preacher. Pray with me. I'm about to die. And then preacher called, pray with him. And as he, yes, after he prayed right before he died. He prayed right before he died. No, he didn't. What he was trying to do was get a ticket to a play to a destination that he ain't supposed to be going to. He was trying to get a free ticket into heaven without living a godly life. This joker wasn't saved in the first place. He was just trying to get to heaven in spite of living like a dog. And let me tell you what my, my, my master just said. Don't give that which is holding to the dog. Don't cast your, your pearls before to the swine. I ain't giving him nothing, and I don't believe any of that. But anyway, enough preaching. So Jesus continues to say, now he broadens his teaching, not only to the false preachers, false prophets, teachers of his time, but to all in general, not everyone. Remember, notice how we bring in, even in that broad gate. This is that broad gate that Jesus was talking about. The everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I like that. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing. So he says, not everyone, everybody who says that they said that they're saved, that they know me, Lord, Lord, by the double calling of Jesus, by Lord, calling him their Lord and their master. Okay. And by saying it twice, it means that such a one who is saying it is saying that, Lord, I know you and Lord, you know me. And that's what they're saying. That's what Jesus is saying by them saying, Lord, Lord, he is saying to me, they're saying to me that I truly know them and, 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 and they truly know me. That's why they said, Lord, Lord. But notice what he said. Everybody saying, calling me that way, who says, and I like what people like to deal with it. Like people like to say it today. I know the Lord. I know the man. I know the Lord. And they'll get angry when you tell them, no, you don't. Because <laughs> if you did, you'd live right. <laughs> Jesus here is dealing with this hypocrisy of everybody going into heaven. Notice he said, everybody who say they're going to heaven is not going into heaven. What? But he who does the will of my father. Notice you got to produce the fruit. Calming down. He who does the will of my father. What do you think the will of the father is? The will of the father is to receive his son as the Messiah, king of the world, savior of all mankind, to receive him and to obey his commandments. That's God's will to obey, receive Jesus and obey his commandments. So notice if you don't do those things, 
heaven you will not see. That's what G that's the whole point of it all. It's more than just saying, I believe. Where is the living right? Where is the good fruit? So Jesus, he's building on all of these things. He's just simply expanding the application to all of us. You ain't going to heaven. Verse number 22, notice he projects into the future. He projects into the future. And notice what he says, the very first word, many, many. Again, the broad gate, the wide gate. Everybody who thought they were going into heaven. Many are going to say unto me in that day. Notice what he began to say. Lord, Lord, again, I really know Jesus. I really know him. And therefore he should know me. Did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demons. In your name, did perform many miracles. I like that. I really, really, really like that. Notice they began to say unto Jesus. They would talk about the miraculous things that they did. Prophesying casting out demons, doing many works. Notice what's interesting about all of this. Jesus never said you didn't. I like that. Think about it, guys. Jesus, when they were saying we did all of this stuff in your name, that they were miraculous things. In other words, miraculous thing to the which only a person of G who, who, who is a true believer can do. We, we did those things. Think about what I'm saying, saints. Jesus never denied that they did them. So what is he trying to tell us? Just because a person can do something miraculous, they may actually do it. They may actually, in reality, no doubt about it, cast out a demon and do many things that set people in awe. And people began to say, Ooh, this person really got to be saved because they're looking at the miraculous. Notice what Jesus says. The performance of the miraculous doesn't mean that you're saved. So therefore he's teaching us. Number one, he's teaching us sheep. Never be impressed when people do miraculous things. And I can get into that. I won't digress because as the age continues, as we continue on in life, in the future, people are going to begin. The miraculous things are going to return until we ultimately get to a man that we refer to as the Antichrist. And he's going to do stuff the world ain't never seen before, not counting Christ and the apostles. But he's going to do stuff so miraculous, people are going to say, this is truly the true Christ. This is truly a God and people are going to worship him and receive his mark and go to hell. All who receive the mark of the beast to hell, they will go. But the reason why they will believe in him is because of the miraculous things that he will do. So Jesus laying down for us a foundational principle just because a man or even a woman does the miraculous does not mean they have a relationship with God. It does not mean they are truly saved. Notice what Jesus says even to them. Notice verse number 23 and allow me to take my time with this. Jesus says, imagine him, Jesus, looking them straight in the face. Because notice what he says, I will declare to them. What are you gonna say to them, Jesus, as you look them in the face? I never knew you. You and I 
never had a relationship. We didn't have a relationship in the past. We don't have a relationship in the present. We don't have a relationship now. I never knew you. No, you did not get unsaved. No, you did not backslide. No, no, you never had a relationship with me. I never knew you. And then he says, what? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He goes all the way back to it again. The, the good fruit, the bad, bad fruit. The good tree, the bad tree. You practice what? Lawlessness. Lawlessness simply means the word of God says to do it, but you did something else. You disobeyed me. So therefore you are not what good fruit. You you are not what a good tree. You are not saved. And this is why you go to hell. No matter what the appearance may be, whether you are that false apostle, false prophet coming disguised as a sheep or whether you are this pretending to be a good tree and bearing bad fruit. It doesn't matter or whether you are this fake Christian, hypocritical Christian, but what? You don't live right. How many times can Jesus say it? Truly, if a person is a believer, he will live like a believer. He will be obedient to the word of God. All God's children, even when we sin, we seek Oh, I like it. I like it. What did John say? If we, God's people, confess our sins, God is faithful. He's just faithful and just to what? To look at what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said, I paid the price for their sins. So therefore, Father, forgive their sins. God is faithful to what he made, that promise he made to Jesus. I will forgive their sins and set them back into fellowship with me. I didn't say save them, never lost our salvation, but I set them back into a right relationship with me. God's people sin, but we always seek to be put back, restoration to be put back into a right relationship with Jesus. And in the end, guess what we want? We want this from our hearts. Lord, I mess up. You know I'm a sinner. What did David say? Even in my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. But Lord, you know, I do sin. But you know my heart, Jesus. And guess what? I want to do the things that are pleasing to you. So Lord, forgive me for when I sin. I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm not even saying I don't sin. What did John say? First John, if any man says that he has no sin, he is a lie. Truth is not in him. And he uses present tense verbs then, saints. So I do, Lord. But forgive me and help me. I want to live in a way that pleases you. I want to bear good fruit. Why? Because I want to be a good tree. That's the whole point of it all. Okay? So now let's get into the next point. Verse number 24. Again in the twos. So therefore, what have we been talking about in the twos? Let's take a quick review. We've been talking about Jesus comparing uh, narrow gate, broad gate, good fruit, 
bad fruit, good tree, bad tree, sinner, and saint. <laughs> but now we get to talk about two foundations. 24, wrapping it up. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Let me repeat it. I know I'm just supposed to be reading the scripture, but let me repeat it. <clears throat> Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, acts on them, may be compared to a wise man. This is a wise man who built his house on a rock. Solid foundation. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like what? A foolish man who built his house on the sand. What happened? The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Okay, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Have you guys seen it clearly? Jesus is saying, if indeed you are a believer in me, then have the works that express that you are a true believer. He even continues now with two foundations. So what does he say? Notice in summation, he sums it up as we end, as we end the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, what? Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. That's why I repeated it. You not only, that's what, be ye doers. That's what James said of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. In other words, you don't, you cannot simply come to church. So I say this to everyone who you speak to, who you speak to and when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about the word, they nod their head. They accept everything that you say. They don't even argue with anything. I say unto them. I also say to the ones sitting in the pews who come to church regularly, whether every Sunday, every other Sunday, but they consider themselves to be good Christians. They come to work, come to the church and they hear the word of God and they say that they believe in the word of God. Jesus says it's not enough to hear and agree and it's not enough to believe. Notice what Jesus says, who hears these words of mine and does them. Again, faith must always be followed by works. Why? Works indicate genuine faith. How you live is the evidence that you truly are a believer in Jesus. He's been saying this, hasn't he guys? Over and over again, this way, that way, this way, that way, that faith without works is dead. Now he turns to foundation. What? If you 
truly have heard my word, believe them, receive my words, and you are living a life, a practical way of life. This is how you live. I'm trying to live a righteous life. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is my savior. Not to get to heaven because Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to please him. You built a house on a solid rock. And so what happened? When the judgment comes, and so notice, go, go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as Paul talks about works. He says, in life, works, a person's works can be compared to gold, silver, precious stone. These are good works. These are what? Good works. Works that will stand the test of Christ. Let me, let me finish it. Also, works can be compared to wood, hay, and stubble. Now, think about it. Wood, hay, and stubble. Such in inferior materials over against gold, silver, and precious stone. But wood, hay, and stubble have something else in, uh, together. He said they will be tried, the works, whether gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble, will be tried by the fire of the judgment of Christ. What happens when fire tries gold, silver, and precious stone, saints? They become purer. What happens when fire tries wood, hay, and stubble? They are burned up completely. So our works, so building the house. So let's just go on back. In the judgment, in the judgment, the person who believes in Jesus and lives for Jesus, lives the life of righteousness. He is compared, like an unto, compared to a man building a house on a very stone, solid foundation. The testing will come in the end as each one of us are judged by the Lord Jesus. The fire, the, that's why he talks about the rain, and the, the floods and the winds slamming. It's all going to be judged tried by Christ. And if such a one is based upon the rock, what is the rock again? The rock is the foundation of our faith. What? Believing in Jesus and notice what Jesus said. You can't take it away. And one who does what Jesus says. If you have set your life in this way, faith in Christ, living for Jesus, he says, you will endure the judgment. Or in other words, as he's been saying from chapter five, six, and now the end of seven, such a one will enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he gives the other side of it, the contrary side. But if you got a person who simply does what? Here's the word of mine. And that's why I was simply saying, you have people who hear you. You have people who may agree with everything that you're saying but they never changed their lives. You have people, I have no doubt, the majority of people sitting in the pews of the church, amen, and, and try to shout and get a holy dance and all of that kind of foolishness, but they don't do what God says to do. And this, what, this is what draws out emotion from me, saints. I'm sick of folk, I'm sick of folk pretending to be saved. But every time you, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But you say, now, this is what the Lord say. They'll do everything but what God tells them to do. And, and so many examples coming, on my, coming into my mind, but I'm going to save them. And oh, I already know it's going to offend some of you. It's going to offend some of you. But so what if it offends you? What did Jesus say? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. So I personally don't care if it offends you, but I'm going to offend some of you in time. So you ain't just enjoying me. It's going to offend some of you, but I'm going to always try to give you that. That's why we do it this way. That's why I do it this way. Line upon line, precept upon precept. What is the context of God's word? What was he saying to those people in his time? What is he saying to us in our time application? so that it is the word of Christ. So what is Jesus simply saying? Let's wrap it up. You hear what he has to say, but in the end, you don't do them. And the final comparison is a man building a house, building a house. All that simply mean by building a house is as it was in the first case. Now in this second case, you are living your life by building a house. You're living your life, but you're not living your life in accordance to the dictates of the word of God, the word of Christ, apostles and prophets of the New Testament. That's not how you're living your life. You're doing pretty much how you want to, but you're saying you're a believer. He says, in the end, you too will be judged. Notice Jesus keeps bringing about judgment, 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 judgment. He keeps talking about judgment. But such a one who heard, but you didn't obey, you didn't obey. He says what? When you are judged, God's going to look at that house that you built and that house, your life will fall. Notice what Jesus does with emphasis and great will be the fall of it. Or in other words, what, what he was trying to say, as in all of these other things, you won't enter the narrow gate. You won't enter into the kingdom of God. Or in other words, like I like to say to hell, you went. It's not enough to simply say, I believe, I believe, but you won't live right. No, live right because living right is the evidence that you truly, that you are a genuine believer, all right? And Jesus with that, and notice, Jesus, would, Jesus simply told it like it was. We like to pretend folk going to heaven Jesus didn't play no games. He said the majority of folk going to hell. And when Jesus concluded this sermon on the mountain, okay, and this is where the conclusion is. Notice the response of the people. This is verse 28 and 29. When he finished all of this, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The word here that is used for amazed is not theomato. It, that, that, okay, I don't want to get into all of the Greek, but it simply means the, the people were drop jaws. They were completely astounded at Jesus' teaching, shocked out of their minds. And then verse number 29 tells us why. Because Jesus was teaching with authority, not like the scribes, not like the Pharisees. By the teaching of authority, he is the Messiah who can render the proper understanding of the law of Moses. He is the Messiah who knows the law. He is the law. What did John say in the beginning was the word? Word was with God, the word was God. The word was made flesh 
He is that one. He can give the law. But also, too, as I told you guys earlier, the manner in which the scribes and the Pharisees would do their teaching is they would always reference other rabbis when they did rabbi so-and-so said this rabbi so-and-so said that and rabbi so-and-so said that about this passage and so i'm saying this they built their teachings on the authority of the scribes jesus gave his teaching on the authority of himself he did not teach like they taught and so therefore the people were dumbfounded when he finished okay all right guys Thanks for joining me in that lesson. Join me next time when we get back into chapter, when we continue on into chapter eight as Jesus leaves from the mountain and he begins to demonstrate. Remember, as the Messiah, having the authority of the Messiah, Jesus begins to show that he is from Missouri. He's from the show me states. What does he do? He begins to demonstrate his messianic authority by the miracles that he did. So therefore, you can accept his teachings by the work that he is performing. All right, guys, thanks for joining me and see you next time.